0: I already know what it is. Hi, welcome to the Hawthorne Hour. Um, We are back again, and we're going to get a little more basic than our last show. So our last show, we looked at a key line from the uh, American uh, magazine of useful and entertaining knowledge, trying to determine if Hawthorne wrote that line or not. Now remember that Hawthorne actually edited that magazine, which was essentially like the reader's digest of kind of the mid-19th century and of course, Hawthorne being Hawthorne, it was a very unseemly task, because uh, it, the magazine certainly lacked the nuance and kind of cleverness that Hawthorne valued. But at any rate, we did, we hear at the Hawthorne Show know all that that's kind of obscure, and uh, while it's great to dive into that stuff, it, sometimes you just got to go back to the basics, and that's what we're going to do today. So today on the Hawthorne Hour, we're going to be looking at the House of the Seven Gables, which... Um, is my favorite book, and, uh... Jimmy, do you like House of the Seven Gables? Well, hell yes, man, I love that. I love it, I love it, I love it. I mean, it's just like you got, a, you got a deer blind with seven different levels, and you can go up and down, and you can see those deers anywhere. That book's like that. It gives you so many perspectives on life and the earth and beauty and truth and all that. Now, okay, Jimmy, now just kind of wind back here because I want to... Like I said, I want to get right to getting into this book. So uh, I think what we're going to do today is I'm going to read one of my favorite lines from House of the Seven Gables and talk about it. And then uh, Jimmy's going to read his and we're just going to kind of try to determine what are the best lines of House of the Seven Gables. So I'm going to start. Um, I want to say that when you read this book, the beginning is pretty boring. The old Pinchin, And I don't know, is it pinching, Jimmy? I would say Pinchin. Honestly, that's what my English teacher said. Pinching. Mr. O'Reilly said it was pinching, and so it's pinching. All right, well, pinching and pinching, whatever. But the first chapter is a fairly boring description of the town, and it really—it's uh, kind of like putting your toe in lukewarm water before the jacuzzi heats up. But then in chapter two, the little shop window—for me, this is where the book begins. And uh, I'm just looking at my copy here, and it looks like my first notation was right here on the first page. Let's see what I quoted here. Um, The old maid was alone in the old house, alone except for a certain respectable and orderly young man, an artist in the dogero-type line, who, for about three months back, had been a lodger in the remote gable, quite a house by itself indeed, with locks, bolts, and oaken bars on all the intervening doors. Which... Just, I just have to say, the last part of that sentence, um, the sentence is quite awkward and over, overlong, which I think Hawthorne sometimes does purposely to create like a level of discomfort with the reader. But then he kind of busts out something that's very uh, kind of lyrical, I think to just sort of show he can do it. So it's like there's always this roughness followed by kind of a lyrical tale. And by tail I mean the tail end of the sentence. So if you look at the very end of the sentence, which I'm going to read again, you'll see what I mean with locks, bolts, and oaken bars and all the intervening doors. It just sounds like poetry. Um, inaudible, consequently, consequently, were poor Miss Hebzebiah's gusty sighs. Inaudible, the creaky joints of her stiffened knees as she knelt down by the bedside. And inaudible, too, by mortal ear, but heard with an awe-comprehending love and pity in the farthest heaven, that almost agony of prayer now whispered, now a groan, now a struggling silence, wherewith she besought the divine assistance throughout, through the day. So, passage is interesting for two reasons. One, it's interesting that he, he describes something that he describes as imperceivable. He's like, they're, all these things are inaudible. This person's sighs their joints, and then the way that they kind of pray to a God that they only half believe in. But then he's like, but wait, the person who they believe in can hear it. But as you go on with Hawthorne, you know that even that's going to be eventually... Uh, cast into doubt and played with. So Jimmy, uh, what do you think of that and and what are your favorite passages kind of in the early part of Hawthorne? I don't know. I don't like that part, honestly. It's kind of too religious and seems a little saccharine. I don't think it's his best work. But he gets rolling a little later in the chapter. I'll read you what I like, okay? Uh, Just wait one second. I gotta spit. All right, now. (laughs) Okay, so Hepzibah is getting ready, and, and is just describing it. We suspect Ms. Hepzibah, moreover, of taking a step upward into a chair in order to give heedful regard to her appearance on all sides, and at full length in the oval, dingy-frame toilet glass. And just so you know, toilet glass in the old days, in that mirror, it wasn't like a glass down in your bowl, down in your john. It was actually a mirror. That hangs above her table. Truly, well, indeed, who would have thought it in all this precious time to be lavished on the meticulous repair and beautifying of an elderly person who never goes abroad, who nobody ever visits, and from whom, when she, held, when she shall have done her utmost, it were best charity to turn one's eyes another way? That's a hell of a diss. If I was Habsbahn and I heard Hawthorne say this, that all this fancifying of myself wouldn't come to nothing, and in fact was strange and vain coming from a coming from an old widow, I'd be I'd, I'd be offended. But actually, I actually think it's kind of funny because it just shows it just shows the impotence of all human striving. You know, it's like sometimes I, I sit there playing with my rifle, trying to get the sight just so. I spend hours on it, and then I line it up just to shoot a goddamn can. And hell I'm only three beers in, so I'm perfectly sober. And I aim it, and goddamn if I don't miss it by a mile. And it's like all that striving to make that sight right didn't even matter, because it's the hand that's holding it, that's gonna direct the bullet. And my hand's gonna shake no matter how I arrange my world. You know what I'm saying? What did you meant? I guess you got a little more uh, personal connection to the chapter than I did. I was a little more interested in the stylistic flourishes of the more lyrical side of Hawthorne, but it sounds like you really touched a nerve with you, so um, I'm glad that you shared with us. Well hell I'm half embarrassed by myself, if you mind. If you don't mind, I'm just gonna head out for the day. I just can't face I just can't face the audience right now. Alright Jimmy, well it was great having you with us. Um, that's it for the Hawthorne hour and I will be back next week uh, with a new episode. So I'll talk to you later. Hey Jimmy wait up